Last week, we dove into the book of Romans, the letter to the Romans. How many of you have enjoyed reading through Romans? Is it incredible or what? Is it deep or what? Is it life-changing? Is it challenging? It's an amazing book. You could, we could spend years going through Romans, and maybe someday we will. But when we looked in the book of Romans, the first thing we asked was why. Why is this in the Bible? Why did God give us this letter, this book, these words, this truth, what we now have as canonized scripture, doctrine? Why? And we talked about that whole thing is that understanding the why helps us to properly apply. Understanding the why of scripture helps us to properly apply scripture to our lives. And I want to just go right back to it so we understand the why of the book of Romans is found in Romans chapter 1 beginning in verse 16. Here's the overarching theme, the big why. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Y'all know what the gospel is, right? It's the good news of Jesus. You're going to be hearing a lot of that all week long, and, and I pray that every single week here at Evident Life Church, you hear the gospel, that Jesus stepped down from heaven. He lived a perfect sinless life, and the perfect sinless Lamb of God went to the cross, and he took upon himself our sins. And he paid the price that we couldn't pay. And he was crucified, and he was buried. But the power of God is more powerful than any sin in all sins ever committed. And he conquered sin and death. Raised from the dead. Victorious. And now all of us who call on the name of Jesus for our salvation. Who receive the free gift of his work. We're saved. That's the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus. And so Paul writes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will Live by faith. And that's a great transition into what we're going to talk about this morning. The righteous, those who've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, those who've been saved by the work of Christ, those who have believed the gospel of Jesus, the righteous, live by faith. We live by faith. We don't live the old way, but we live by faith. The gospel is for everyone. It's here to unite us. By the way, you know, Christianity, people say stuff about Christianity. They say, man, y'all are, are so narrow-minded. Christianity is so narrow-minded, man. You need to be more open. You need to be more accepting. Let me tell you something about Christianity. Christianity, the gospel, is the most inclusive religion and the most inclusive message of them all. 
I'll put the gospel up against any other message from any other religion, and it's the most inclusive. It's for everyone who believes. Everyone. For all time. That's incredible. For God so loved the world. The power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. We're going to dive into part two of Romans. The title is, The Gospel Brings Transformation. The righteous will live by faith. The gospel brings transformation. I love rapid-fire Thanksgiving. I love it every single month. I look forward to it every first Sunday of every single month. I always get super excited. I always tell Velvet, Velvet, it's, it's rapid-fire Thanksgiving Sunday. It's rapid-fire Thanksgiving Sunday. I get the notes ahead of time. We're doing it after song one. All right. I'm excited. And it was kind of, like I said earlier, it was our, our rendition of Palm Sunday. It was our rendition of laying down those palm branches, laying down the thanks and the praise and the glory to Jesus, Hosanna, the Messiah has come. Jesus has come. And Jesus has changed my life. He brought me salvation and he changed my life. He didn't leave me the same. Everything changed. He healed me. He saved me. Hosanna, the Messiah has come. See, when Jesus shows up, things change. Can you testify to that? When Jesus, when the power of God shows up, the same power that raised Christ from the dead that has saved us, that grace that justified us, when, when Jesus shows up, man, things change. That's why people don't want Jesus to show up. That's why our, our anti-Christ secular culture doesn't want you to mention the name or bring Jesus into the discussion or into the room because when Jesus shows up, things change. That includes you and me. Things change. The Apostle Paul knows that as much as anyone. The guy who wrote this letter to the Romans, right? Jesus showed up in his life and he what happened? Jesus threw him off a horse. Ba-bam! Maybe that happened to some of y'all. Maybe it wasn't a horse. Maybe he just slapped you upside the head and said, wake up! I got to get your attention. In Paul's life, Jesus showed up. Things changed. He was on the horse, and now he's off the horse. He could see, and then he was blinded. Everything got turned upside down in Paul's life. But then... God changed him and he saved him. He saved him. And he changed him from a persecutor of Christians to probably the most effective mouthpiece for the gospel of Jesus that's ever lived. The words that were spoken through him by the Holy Spirit make up half of our New Testament. When Jesus shows up in a life, that life is going to be changed. So what's changed in your life because of Jesus? I'm going to ask a lot of questions this morning, make you all think, like introspectively, which is good. Just think about it right now. What has changed in your life? The before or the after? What's the after? What was the before? What, what's changed? Like, for real, changed in your life? Y'all can take notes, take notes with a pen, pad of paper, whatever. 
You can go online to the Uversion events section of Uversion. You can look for Evident Life Church. It'll pop right up there. You'll have these questions in there. You can use your phone, take pictures of the questions that are on the screen. But I want to encourage you to really process these questions. Examine your life. What's changed? How has Jesus rocked your world? Romans reminds us that the gospel brings transformation. It changes us. It takes us from death to life. Can I get an amen? Amen. 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 We're born again. We go from sinner to saint. We talked about that a little bit last week. It's so important. God doesn't see us the same way. Our sins are as far as the east is from the west. We have a new identity. He calls us by a different name. We're no longer an enemy, but we're a friend. And scripture says time and time again, we're no longer sinners, but we are saints. God sees us differently, and you should see yourself differently if you are in Christ Jesus. And the gospel also rewires us. How many of you need a little bit of rewiring? Yeah, I needed a lot of rewiring. The gospel rewires us. It changes how we view life. It gives us a completely new purpose. We think differently. We process differently. We live differently. By the way, something I I found this week, I just want to throw it out there. Um, The word saved. How many of you are saved? I've been saved. Amen. Amen. The word saved is synonymous. It has the same uh, root word in, in, in Greek and even also in Hebrew as salvaged. So we are, we are those who have been saved. We are those who have been salvaged. When Jesus talks about hell, he actually uses a, a place outside of Jerusalem as his example, his symbol of hell called Gehenna. And that was the garbage dump outside of Jerusalem where they would just have a a, a fire that would go day and night burning the garbage, all the refuse, all the, the, the rot and the filth of Gehenna and the smells and all of this. This is what we've been salvaged out of, what we've been saved out of. The gospel brings transformation. I wrote down a little little thing here. I said, from trashed to treasured. That's what Christ has done for us. That's what he's done for us. Let's get to point number one. How do the righteous live by faith? Well, the gospel changes how we think. Point number one, the gospel changes how we think. Because the gospel brings transformation. It starts right here, up here in the head, in the mind. And we're going to primarily be talking about Romans chapters 12, 13, 14, and 15 today. All right, so this week you want to do some reading, read chapters 12, 13, 14, and 15, and look at that transformation, how it happens, how it's spelled out in Scripture. Because the first it starts with the gospel changes how we think. Romans 12, verse 2 says this, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. You know this world wants to conform you. I was talking to the group that was here from, from Great Hearts. Christos at Evident Life Church. We had our open house. And I was talking about how kids K through 12 spend 15,000 hours being educated, many of them by other people. And during that 15,000 hours, there's a lot of of, um, programming that happens. And there's a lot of conforming that happens. If we hang out with the world, the world is going to conform us to itself. Be careful who you hang out with. 
who you listen to, who teaches you, who teaches your children. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So when Jesus comes in our lives, man, He changes us. And it all starts right here with our thinking, with our minds. All right, I got a question. Would you agree that the world's pretty messed up? Yeah, just a little bit. A little off, just a little off. It's, 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 it's called the dominion of darkness, by the way. And uh, the dominion of darkness, a.k.a. the world, it, it looks at things a certain way. And this world plays by their own set of messed up and twisted rules. How many of you run into any of those messed up, twisted rules when you're out there in the world? Yeah, they're out there like crazy, right? And we're all born into this messed up, twisted world. Every one of us are. But every Christian who is saved is saved out of that world, is saved out of that thinking, is saved out of that dominion, that that messed up, twisted kingdom, out of that old pattern, out of that old twisted way of thinking and doing things. We've been redeemed. Can I get an amen? amen? We've been redeemed. Who redeemed us? Let's just shout his name right now. Amen. We've been redeemed. Jesus has pulled us out of that world. He's pulled us out of Gehenna, out of the trash heap, out of the rot. We've been redeemed. We discover, after we've been redeemed, that everything is exactly opposite of what we once thought. Right? It is. Jeremy, you're going to like this one, but my mind went to The Matrix. I know it's one of your favorite shows, you know, and all that stuff. But it's like we've come out of this matrix of deception. We've been red-pilled, right? We've been red-pilled. We come out. We've been unplugged from this crazy program that the world has for people that keeps us in bondage, slaves to, to darkness, So our renewed spirit in Christ, as it talks about in Romans chapter 8, amazing chapter. Wow. Put on your seatbelt when you read chapter 8 of Romans and get excited. But our renewed spirit, as it talks about in chapter 8, it's totally different. And now it agrees with the ways of heaven. In fact, the ways of this world, they don't smell so good anymore. They don't look so, they're not so attractive anymore. My dad, when he got saved. He went from smoking several packs of cigarettes a day, attracted to that, attracted to the nicotine, addicted to it. He gets saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, and he's repulsed by it. In an instant, that happened in his life. In an instant. And that's what happens when we get born again, and we have a new spirit living in us. The old man, that old nature dies, the new nature, the new spirit comes alive, and everything that we once were attracted to, now we're repulsed by it. And those things that we used to be repulsed by, that we tried to stay away from, we're attracted to, like righteousness, peace, joy, love, 
care, compassion, giving, generosity. Because, man, when you run into the gospel, when you run into Jesus, and the Holy Spirit comes and makes his dwelling within you, you change. You change. But here's the deal. Our old flesh, including our old way of thinking, it tries to hang on. There's some amens. There's head nodding. Yeah, you, know, you all know what I'm saying, right? Been there, done that. Dealt with that yesterday, right? On the way to church, I dealt with that, right? Maybe so, right? The old, na- the old man, the old nature, those old ruts that we've been in, I mean, tries to pull us back. He keeps trying to pull me back, you know. Anyway, that's what happens. It tries to keep us tied to the old habits that run according to the dominion of darkness, just the ways of this broken world. But Paul tells the church, you must disconnect from that and get reprogrammed. you got to disconnect and get reprogrammed. I used to be a computer programmer. It was back in the days when programmers were, I mean, we were the real deal. We didn't just, you know, look up chat GPT and say, hey, make me a program with some code like this. No, we got, we rolled up our sleeves and we did some, some, some COBOL programming. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, and we can program things, we can fix things sometimes when we program, but you know what I'd often tell people? Just reboot. Just unplug. Just unplug. Nowadays, have you all noticed this? Certain apps you'll have that work one day and then they don't work the next day. And, all, you know, you download the, the new version of the app and then it doesn't work and you're thinking, well, I just got the new version, it doesn't work. Oh, that doesn't work with the old operating system. So now you've got to upgrade your operating system. It's kind of like that. Think about this. It's kind of like that with us, isn't it? Right? We've been upgraded. But if we try to, if we try to, to function now in the old operating system, which would be the old ways of the world, it just doesn't work. It doesn't compute. It doesn't happen. We got to have a whole new operating system, and that's the operating system of the kingdom of heaven. That's coming out of agreement with the old ways and coming into agreement with the new ways. It's unplugging from the old and plugging into the new, which is the Spirit of God. Not the flesh, but the Spirit. Again, Romans 8, it's all over there, 6, 7, 8. Awesome, awesome chapters. We're going to talk a little bit about that next week and maybe the week after that. Paul wrote something similar to, to the uh, church in Ephesus. He said this in Ephesians 4, beginning of verse thir- 22. You were taught with regard to your former way. That's like how you used to be, right? You were taught in regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. Unplug from your old self. Got to unplug from that. Which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. And to be made new in what? The attitude of your mind, in the way you think, in the way you process things. And to put on the new self. Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Unplug from the flesh and plug into the spirit. That's what Paul's saying. Unplug from the flesh and plug into the spirit. So our minds need to be transformed by being renewed. And our minds are renewed by intentionally feeding it truth. We got to be intentional. Otherwise, our flesh is going to try to pull us back to the old. We've got to be intentional. 
We got to we got to truly reprogram. We got to truly choose the new operating system. It's a whole process called sanctification. We've been justified. We've been made new. We are new creations in Christ. Totally new. We've been made new. Now we have to intentionally cooperate because the righteous will live by faith. Every day we will choose to live by faith. Every day we will choose to live by the Spirit, the, the new way, and put away the old way. Every day we'll take the red pill, right? That's what we do. So here's the deal. If your mind changes, you're going to change. If your thinking changes, you will change. Your actions are going to follow your thinking. You'll find yourself actually enjoying God's way better, seeing His blessing, and living in His unspeakable joy, and this pleases the Lord. I want to I make sure we understand something. Conforming to this world is the antithesis of transforming. In other words, conforming to this world keeps us from being transformed. It just does. If you keep holding on to the old, guess what's in your hand? The old. The old. You keep, keep getting on that old bus, guess, guess where you're going, where that old bus is going to take you. That's just the way it is. You can't have it both ways. Oh, man, I want to see the things of the Spirit. Man, I want to hear the voice of God. Well, it's kind of hard to hear the voice of God when you keep listening to the other voices. I want to be His hands and His feet. But your hands and your feet are still grabbing hold of the old junk conformed to the patterns of this world. Just let go, man. Just let go. God is good. You can trust Him. Just let go. It's all a bunch of garbage anyway. Walk away from Gehenna, from that garbage pit, right? Walk away from it. Some other questions I got for you. Can you identify any areas where you're still thinking like the world? Think about that. It's good for us to know these things. It's good for us to challenge ourselves in this because sometimes we're going we're gonna to answer those questions and go, oh, my goodness, I am. Huh. I am. Now we can let it go. We can let it go. In what ways are you thinking differently? And are you seeing the effects of that in your life? I bet you are. All right, point number two. See, when Jesus comes into your life, you think differently, but there's more. The gospel changes how we love. Hold on for this one. You ready? The gospel changes how we love. Again, this world's all backwards, and this includes the way they love and how they define love. It's all backwards, y'all. The world loves what feels good. The world loves those things that are going to serve them. It's all self-serving kind of love. And here's the other deal about the world. The world confuses acceptance with love. I'm going to love you by accepting you. I'm going to love you by accepting everything you want me to accept about you. That's not love. God's love is different. Paul tells the church of Rome, he tells them this. And he's telling us this today also, Romans 12, 9. He says, love must be sincere. 
Hate, now listen how he's defining this, sincere love. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Isn't that crazy? Love and hate, like in the same sentence in, in defining love. Anyway, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. How do you want to have sincere love? Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Sincere love. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Sincere love actually hating evil and confronting it. Sincere love doesn't allow a friend to drive their life off of a cliff because they love their sin. That's not sincere love. Sincere love would look at that and go, I hate that sin in my friend's life because it's killing them. It's robbing them. It's destroying them. And I'm going to talk to him about that. That's sincere love. You know, when you look at the ministry of Jesus, he had sincere love. Just, let's just take even the, the woman at the well. Just thinking about this right now. Would you say that Jesus handled her with perfect love? I would hope so, right? Because he is the definition of love. Jesus is. He hated the evil in her life. He didn't hate her. He loved her so much that he hated the evil that was hurting her and robbing her. And he confronted it and freed her from it. Sincere love. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Sincere love has the hard conversations. How many hard conversations have you had lately? Not just about, you know, who needs to do the dishes or whatever. Like, I mean, like really hard conversations. Sincere love says no. Parents, some of you all need to hear that. Sincere love says no. But mom, I'm nine and all my friends have an iPad, and then they all have accounts on this social media thing. Sincere love says no. Sincere love says no. No. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Paul said it this way to the church in Ephesus. Ephesians 5.11, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness but rather expose them. Sincere love exposes evil for what it is. Paul continues and he says this in Romans 12, 21, talking about love. He says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So number one, what do we do? We call out evil. Right? Sincere love. We call out evil. Acceptance isn't evil. Remaining silent when people drive their lives off a cliff isn't, I mean, isn't love. That's not love. Acceptance isn't love. So the first thing we do if we have sincere love is we sincerely and in love, we call out the evil. And number two, 
is we help overcome that evil with good. So here's an example of that, just a practical example of what we're doing as a church right now. You've heard me say it. I've called out the evil of, of really that public education system, not of specific teachers and all of this. There are gems. There are, there's salt and light in, in, in schools today. But the overall system and curriculum is broken, y'all. It's broken. It's hurting people. And so we call that out for what it is. Because it's hurting the least of these. The young ones. And it's destroying the fabric of our, of our families and, and our nation. But we don't want to stop just with calling it out. That's step number one. Step number two is this. We overcome with good. And so we've engaged in the area of education. We support homeschool families. We have a couple hundred students in homeschool co-ops here every single week. We help any family who wants to go to the homeschool co-op convention every year. We'll pay for it. We'll take care of you. We have people that can walk you through any aspect of that you're interested you want to send your kids to private Christian school where they're going to get Christian doctrine, not the doctrine of an antichrist secular world. We're going to help you with that. We have programs that we have that we put together. Kind of the tip of the spear on some of these programs in the entire state of Arizona that we've helped work through with, with organizations like ACSTO. And now we're, we're helping partner with a, a Christian school right here on our campus. Because we're going to call out evil, but then we want to help overcome that evil and, and be a solution for it as well. It's both and. It just is. It's both and. So we got to be those change agents. Have to be light that shines so brightly to overcome the darkness. So some questions. You ready for this? Question number one. Can you identify any area that any areas where you have changed how you love others? Since you've come to Christ, do you love others differently now? Another question, what are some ways that you've overcome evil with good? I hope that you can have some examples in your life of where you've done that. We all should. And then here's the final one. Is there someone that you need to have that hard yet loving conversation with? And then walk with them through wherever that leads. Be there for them. Don't drop a bomb and run away. I have a brother in the Lord who got caught up in alcoholism years ago. Came alongside of him. Called it what it was. Showed up at his house day in and day out to pour out anything that needed to be poured out, to encourage, to be there, to pray, whatever it takes. We call it out, and then we do good. And we fill that void with good, with love, and with care, with our time, with our compassion, and with the gospel of Jesus. Let's go to point number three. Final point today is this. The gospel changes how we treat 
one another. Actually, it's not the final point. I got a fourth point, but we'll nail that one quickly. The gospel changes how we treat one another. Jesus loves his church. It's his bride. He's coming back for his church. And Jesus wants his bride to be treated well. Don't be throwing mud at the bride of Christ. He wants his bride treated well. So Paul encourages his church that was having troubles with loving one another. He says this to the church in Rome. He says, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. The church is pretty good at finding matters in which to dispute one another, aren't we? We're really good at uncovering any little matter that we can divide over. That shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. Christians are good at making a mountain out of a molehill. But how about this? Instead of criticizing one another, God calls us to prefer one another. Prefer one another. Care for one another. Want the best for one another. Think the best of one another. We're brothers and sisters. We're family. We're going to spend eternity together. We are. Are you going to get up to heaven and, 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 and have this really awkward moment? With an, yeah, you're the one I called you know, a loser and, and, and split from and ran away from and treated so poorly, but now here we are together. I mean, come on. Come on. Brothers in Christ, we let it go. I want to go to Romans 14, 19. It says, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Is that how we're, we're, we're doing life with one another? Are we doing everything we can do to be at peace with one another? Are we doing everything we can do to edify, to build up one another? Or are we looking for reasons why, yeah, they're wrong? I'm better. Because that's really what we're saying most of the time. I'm better. I got it right. Romans 15, 17 goes on and says, accept one another then. Check this one out. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you. That's like the mic drop moment. Right? I don't know about you, but when Christ accepted me, I was a hot mess. I mean, I, I, was, I was in bad shape. And I can look around the room and pretty much guarantee you, y'all were a hot mess. Y'all were in bad shape. Yet Christ accepted you, and he says, accept one another in the same way. Broken, imperfect, obnoxious, whatever it may be, offensive. Accept one another as Christ has accepted you. Even your condition right now, even our condition right now, we still have rough edges. Yet Christ accepts. He's patient with us. He doesn't write us off. And this is how we should be with one another. I'm, I'm going to tell you what, I, we live in such a consumer-based society. 
I was watching some basketball yesterday, crazy Final Four. It's just weird March Madness this year. Caught some of it. It's just strange, right? But anyway, I was watching, and this commercial came on time and time again, and I finally just got fed up. And I'm like, this is ridiculous, but it's such a picture of our society. It's all about change. It's all about how you connect in this network, whatever it is, Verizon, I don't remember which, who it even was, but it's all about, you know, you can change this, you can change that, you want to change that, change that, you want to change that, change that, change that, change everything, you can change anything you want to change around you, just connect, just connect, just change, change, and never did it say, how about you change? But don't we live in a culture that's telling us Everything else and everybody else is messed up. You're the right one, and you should have the right to change any and everything around you. I need Jesus to change me. And I need Jesus to change you. My wife, she tried to change me for years. Because Lord knows I needed it. And she realized, ah limited success in that now she did it in a loving way I mean she's awesome she's a, she's like a saint you know what I'm saying if you all know velvet you you're you're one step closer to Jesus is all I'm saying I mean I'm serious so in love you know she tried to get me to just do it right Eric just be the right just make anyway um finally she realized you know what I just got to pray for the man and she was always praying for me and she just prays for me and God changes me. Ladies, you're not going to change your husband anywhere close to what Jesus can do. You just aren't. You aren't. You might have some effect. Your husband needs Jesus. And ladies, you need Jesus. We all need Jesus to change us. Here's what makes me sad. In this consumer-based society we live in, people just so quickly get up and move away and, and write people off because they're messy. Or they don't, they don't build them up enough. They don't give them enough. You know, they're, they're, they, they, they suck the life out of them for a season or whatever, and so I don't have time for that. My, I, got, I got to be around people who are going to help me succeed and, and, and help me be a better person. And isn't that what we hear out there? Get around people who are going to make you a better person. Get around people who are chasing after Jesus. There's the answer, okay? And that'll make you a better person. And in that process, people are going to be messy. People are going to be broken. Get around them. When they go through hard times, don't abandon them. When your church doesn't sing the songs you want them to sing on Sunday, don't write them off. I mean, I'm just saying the silliest things that we do. Anyway, point number four. Let's dive in the final point. I, I want to I end with this because here's something you're going to find in, in Romans 15. is Paul's method of evangelism. Most would consider the Apostle Paul a pretty good evangelist, right? You think, I mean, pretty much everywhere he went, people were coming to Christ, accepting the gospel, and churches were being planted. The guy was pretty successful, right? So if, if you find something that's working, you probably want to emulate it. You probably want to do, just to get back to that kind of computer analogies, you probably want to do a, a copy and paste. 
into your own life, right? Copy what the Apostle Paul was doing and how he would evangelize and, and just be the salt and light everywhere he went and maybe paste it into your life and, and make your life kind of emulate that and, and look and feel and act a little bit like that. And so here's how the Apostle Paul went about living life as salt and light. Here's how he evangelized. It's found in Romans 15, beginning of verse 18. He says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. There's two components. What I've said and done. By the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Elicarum, something like that, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. So check this out. His method of evangelism. Three words. Word, deed, and sign. Three things that we see from the Apostle Paul. How he did life, ministry. By the way, life and ministry should be synonymous with a believer. They are not separate. Life, everywhere you go, you should be salt and light. You are a representative of Jesus. But I just want to have my grubbies on and go to Walmart and pick up a bag of chips and come home and watch what. No, no, no. You are a missionary. You are ministering. You are salt and light. You are an ambassador of Jesus at all times, period. And so Paul, how did he live this way? By word. You've heard my message, he said. The gospel of Jesus. He let people know the gospel. He shared Jesus with people. Second thing is, by deed, you've seen how I have loved, he said. And the third thing is, signs. You've witnessed the power of God in and through my life. The method of evangelism from the Apostle Paul. Copy and paste it into your life. Open your mouth and share Jesus with others. Tell them the good news. Tell them. Show them the gospel. Be the gospel, the hands and feet of Jesus everywhere you go. And just be crazy enough to believe that the Spirit of the living God, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, is living in you because you are born again, believer in Christ Jesus, and that God wants to release that in and through you in order to draw people to Jesus. All right. I want us to remember something. God is still supernatural. He said we were going to do the things he was doing and even greater things. I want to encourage you to think bigger. Um, I think it's so easy for us as, as we're Christians to start to allow our perspective or what we expect to happen to narrow. And I don't understand why that's the case. I want you to expand your expectations. And increase your ability to receive. That's a word the Lord gave me about even getting, us getting this building as a church. Expand your expectations and increase your ability to receive. 
I want us to be a people who are expanding our expectations of what God is going to do in us and through us as we are out in the big bad world. I want us to be those who are expanding and increasing our ability to receive the Spirit of God moving in us and through us as we're out there. The world needs a church that is expecting bigger things and increasing our ability and our, and our, and our expectation of God moving in us and through us. The world needs people like the Apostle Paul who are going to come to them in word, in deed, and with signs of the power of God, the living God, Moving in our time right now. Let's be those people who think that way, who wake up in the morning expecting those things. Let's stand up. So the gospel brings transformation. Amen? Yes. Amen. Amen. Thank God. I'm glad it's changing you all. I don't know, man, but anyway, I'm glad it's changing me. And may we be those people who daily cooperate with the change that God has started and that he's continuing in our lives. What an amazing way to live. Following Jesus is not stagnant. It's not boring. It's not a rut, man. There are always new things that he's doing. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Do you perceive it? Beloved, I want to be that, that people, those people who wake up every day with that kind of expectation of the big, great, amazing, living God that we get to partner with and follow. Do you perceive? Let us perceive. Both what he's doing in us, but also what he's doing and wants to do through us.